Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad to see you here today. It's good to uh, share this time of uh, fellowship and worship with each of you this morning. We welcome you all. We welcome our guests especially today. Uh, we're glad that you're here and a part of us today and hope that you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. Uh, let me remind everybody of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out, pass them down the aisle so others can fill them out, and uh, we can have a record of your attendance Today, we would certainly appreciate that. Also, go ahead and uh, take out your, your uh, smartphones, check in uh, at Community Baptist Church today, and let everybody know that you're here uh, to worship God this morning. A few announcements that I'd like to call to your attention. Um, first of all, our upperclassmen group, our uh, senior citizens group, or anybody who can come, uh, we will be meeting on Tuesday uh, here at the church. We're going to meet at 11 o'clock here at the church. We're not going to be doing a potluck, a potluck like we do many times. We're going to be doing um, having a fellowship time at one of our local restaurants, and you have to come to find out which one because I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be here at 11 o'clock on Tuesday uh, to find out what restaurant we're going to be eating at um, and uh, share that time of fellowship together. Also, uh, this year, this is 2019, isn't it? Yes, sir. Uh, 2019. We are celebrating our 25th anniversary as a church. Uh, we were established, uh, officially uh, uh, constituted in December, 25 years ago, and so we think that's worth celebrating. So we're going to be planning a big celebration of our 25th anniversary, and if you would like to be a part of that planning process, we're going to have a big party and a celebration. If you would like to be a part of that process of planning, please see uh, Greg Gibson. Let him know, and he will put you on the committee, and uh, we'll work up, uh, work towards a really wonderful celebration coming up later on in this year. Also, put on your calendar um, uh, Extreme Build. Go ahead and save the date for that. That's June the 9th through the 15th. And uh, so, if you'd like to participate in that, please uh, uh, put it put that on your calendar. We'll have. I don't think we have sign up sheets out yet, but we'll have those out uh, very soon, and you can sign up to be a part of that. That's a great ministry. Every year we go to McCreary County, Kentucky, which is one of the, the poorest counties in the country, and every year we build a house there in one week, and it's a, an amazing process. So uh, if you want to be a part of that, come on and join us. And also, uh, this, this announcement is not in your bulletin, so please take note of that. On March the 6th, um, we will not be having our, our services here, our activities here. That's a Wednesday night. That's Ash Wednesday. And uh, we will be joining First Christian Church at First Christian Church on March 6th that evening for uh, to observe Ash Wednesday with them uh, together. So, um, so don't come here on March the 6th. We'll be going to First Christian. Please get that on your calendar, calendar as well, and we'll get it in the bulletin next week as well. We're, uh, I, I think it, it's either six or six thirty. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent, but uh, it's either six or six thirty, Nibby, uh, and everybody else. <laughs> um, it's good to have this uh, have this time together to worship, to fellowship, to love on each other. So let's do that now as we stand. Let's greet each other and share the love of Christ with one another this morning.
please remain standing. Please join me in our responsive reading titled Dreams in your bulletin and on the screen. Remember waking up with a dream that held you in its power? We remember hearing the voice of God whispering into our ears and the hand of God resting on our shoulder. Did you believe your dream could come true? Or did you dismiss it as wishful thinking? We believe in our dreams with all our hearts, but we were younger then, and no dream was too extravagant for us to chase. Treasure the dreams God sent you. Let them shape your life. We will not lose confidence in our dreams. We will dream a dream that belongs to all of us, not to any one of us alone. Where your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall, shall see visions. Where your old women shall wake with hope in their eyes, your young women shall catch their joy, and your children shall imagine more than you ever dreamed. A world where their daytime dreams are blessed and their nightmares are no more. A world where the blind shall see, the deaf shall hear, and the lame shall dance. A world where people are not judged by the color of their skin. A world where all God's children feast at the welcome table. A world where we no longer see in a mirror dimly, but face to face with Jesus Christ, who dares us to dream God's dream. We remember the dream God sent to us, a dream of justice and healing and love. Let us hold fast to the vision of our dream giver God. Amen.
If it didn't work, I have a loud voice. So, um, all right, guys. Have you ever had dreams? Yes. Do you ever remember any of your dreams? <laughs> yes, no, maybe so. You do? Okay. What was one of your dreams? <laughs> you don't have to tell us. It's okay. All right. So, um, today we're going to be talking about um, how dreams inspire us. So they can be like dreams that you've had or like when you're sleeping or dreams that like come to you. So I'm going to give you kind of an example of a dream. My mom, who is today, it's her birthday, she's not here, but she's 62. And she had a dream to run in 10 5K marathons and um, in one year. And last year that was her dream to do it. And she did it. She ran into that moment. And today she just ran a half a marathon down in Florida at Disney. Who would want to be at Disney right now? Yes. Yes. I was like, why did you take me? But um, So that's like an example of someone had a dream. They want to do something, and they um, it inspired them to make that dream happen. So they um, made that um, dream come true. There are actually lots of dreams that happen in the Bible. Um, Joseph in Egypt interpreted dreams for Pharaoh. For Pharaoh, uh, he was the son of Jacob. God came to Mary in a dream. And have you guys ever seen that one? on Facebook um, or on the internet where the children tell the uh, dream. Okay, well just listen to her really quick. It's really cute. to a baby and name him Jesus. God also spoke to Joseph, like we just said, that and about Mary, that he was gonna that she was not lying. She's gonna have a baby, right? So today's sermon is about dreams and how they inspire us. Sometimes we have scary dreams, but dreams can inspire us to do great things.
please bow your head and pray with me. Dear God, help us to listen when you are guiding us and not let our own selfish desires lead our quest to serve your kingdom. Help us to serve you with every gift you have blessed us with to our fullest ability. Amen. scripture when Dr. Hobbs tells you good luck. You know, you've got a lot of uh, names in here that may be a little difficult. Uh, From the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Shalev, in the twelfth year while I was in Susa, the capital, one of my brothers, Hanai, came with certain men from Judea. 
And I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity, and about Jerusalem. They replied, The survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Art, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before, so the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, why do you, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judea, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. So I went up by the way of the valley by night and inspected the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. Then I said to the people of Jerusalem, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. I told them that the hand of my God has been gracious upon me and also the words that the king had spoken to me. Then they said, let us start building. So they committed themselves to the common good. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, choir. What, how beautiful that is, and what a beautiful message. And I want to say that it is fun being a part of, tr- of a church who is willing to be led by our Lord. Thank you for that. Dan Miller uh, tells about growing up in a conservative rural family in Ohio years ago. And with no radio or TV in the house, he found his information in books. And so he became an avid reader. However, when he was about 12 years old, something happened that would change his life dramatically. You see, he was introduced to a phonograph record. You remember those? Uh, actually, they're, kind of, they're coming back these days. He was introduced to a phonograph record by a noted motivational speaker named Earl Nightingale. The record was titled, The Strangest Secret. And on this record, Dan heard Nightingale saying that he could be anything that he wanted to be. All he would have to do is change his thinking. Nightingale introduced Miller to six words that could change a person's life forever. And those six words were, We become what we think about. So let's think about that for a minute. We become what we think about. Dan recognized that if these words were true, if these words were true, that we can become what we think about, then the possibilities of what he could do with his life were were limitless. Mr. Nightingale's secret, of course, was based on a familiar biblical principle from the book of Proverbs. For as a person thinks in his or her heart, so is he, so is she. Now this approach to life was radically different from the rigid way of thinking in which Miller had been raised. We become what we think about. That meant that he could become more than he had ever dreamed possible if he just thought about the right things. Well, he knew that these kinds of ideas would not be welcomed into his house. They didn't think like that. And so you know what he did? He hid the record under his mattress. And he brought it out late at night to listen to these promises over and over again. And he says that while his friends were hiding girly magazines under their beds, he was hiding Earl Nightingale's message of hope and opportunity. It captured his imagination as it has captured uh, hundreds of thousands of other people's imaginations over the years. So let me ask you something. Have you ever had something like that to capture your imagination? Something that just grabbed a hold of you and would not let you go? You may remember what Einstein once said about imagination. The man who was synonymous with intellectual knowledge once said, Imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world. Wow. According to the smartest man who ever lived, imagination is more important than smarts. More, more important than knowledge. But what exactly is imagination? Well, let's try this definition on for size. Imagination is a mental picture of something that could become a reality if we do our part. Let's listen to that again. Imagination is a mental picture of something, usually desirable, that could become a reality if we do our part. Sometimes it comes as a dream or a vision. And often this dream is the first step towards a great accomplishment. Well, today I want to tell the story of a man who was driven by a great dream. Even more importantly, he was driven by God's dream. And because he was driven by God's dream, he accomplished amazing things. This took place about 2,600 years ago. About 2,600 years ago, the land of Judah was was overrun and, and destroyed by the Babylonians. 
all of its most prominent citizens were sent into exile. Jews were dispersed all across the known world. And Jerusalem, their beloved city, lay in ruins. This was a dark time for God's people. And it was precisely at a time like this that that God planted a dream in the heart of a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one of those exiled Jews living in Susa, which was the capital city of Persia, which is today Iran. And Nehemiah was the royal cupbearer for King Art. (laughs) Artaxerxes is his name. Of Persia. He was the cupbearer. Now you think a cupbearer, that doesn't sound like a very impressive title, but a cupbearer was actually a high ranking officer in the royal court because his duty was to serve the drinks at the royal table. And there was a constant fear of plots to kill the king, usually by poison. And so the person who served as cupbearer was chosen to do so because that person was regarded as someone who was thoroughly trustworthy. And it was his responsibility to guard against, against poison being put into the king's cup. And sometimes the cupbearer had to swallow some of the wine before serving it to the king and to the other guests. And the fact that the king trusted him so much also gave him a position of great influence over the king. Well, one day, one of Nehemiah's relatives, a man named Hanani, was visiting Nehemiah. And he brought him news about the plight of the Jews who were still back in Jerusalem. And as he shared with Nehemiah the poverty and the oppression of the people there and the disrepair and the destruction of their sacred city, Nehemiah broke down and he wept. He went into a time of mourning and fasting and praying over the plight of his people. And that's when God put it into Nehemiah's heart that he was the one who must make this situation right. And that's an important thing for us to remember. Because folks, listen to this. As is often the case, when you pray for something, God just might call on you to answer your own prayers. And so a dream was born in Nehemiah's heart. And that dream was to go to Jerusalem to help his people. You know what? That's how every great work begins. A dream is born in someone's heart. A little over 150 years ago, Dr. David Livingston read the words of missionary Robert Moffat concerning Africa. Moffat wrote, From where I stand, I can see the smoke of 10,000 villages that have never heard of Christ. And with those words, a dream was born in David Livingston's heart. He almost immediately set off for Africa. He began his journey by tracing the Zambezi River to its source. He spent the rest of his life traveling all across that continent. He traveled more than 11,000 miles, mostly on foot, through uncharted jungles. He suffered unbelievable dangers. He was attacked by wild animals and nearly killed. But his dedication won the hearts of, of many of the Africans that he found. And one of the things that endeared Livingston to the Africans was the fact that he was enraged by the slave trade being perpetrated there. And he became determined to crush what he called the, the open sore of the world. He became a battler for justice. In his later years, Livingston was racked by disease. He was attacked by wild animals and often menaced by hostile tribes. He was repeatedly robbed and abandoned by the people that he had hired to help him carry his stuff through the jungles. And, and yet, he continued to march on with his Bible. He pressed on until his body could go no further. 
and on May the 1st, 1893, he was found dead on his knees in a position of prayer in a crude hut in the little village of Elala. He had been true to his dream. And today, millions of Africans are Christians because of men and women who, like David Livingston, gave their all to fulfill a dream that God had planted in their hearts. In the same way, Nehemiah became committed to the dream that God gave to him. Nehemiah received permission from the king to go to Jerusalem to become its new governor. And when he arrived there, he made a secret inspection of the city's walls, which which now lay in ruins. And he determined that the walls would be rebuilt. Many of his own people said that it could never happen. It could never be done. He was tormented by Judah's enemies. The Samaritans, the Ammonites, the Arabs, the Philistines. They taunted him. They tried to capture him. They sabotaged his work. But Nehemiah would not be defeated. I am doing a great work, he said to his critics. I cannot come down. You know, that's probably the best answer that anyone can give to one's critics. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. And so Nehemiah challenged the Jews in Jerusalem to give, to work, to build, to sacrifice, so that the walls of the city could be rebuilt. And they responded mightily, as people often do when they are challenged with a dream that is bigger than themselves. They responded in a wonderful way. They responded because of their faith in God and their faith in Nehemiah. They knew that Nehemiah was not asking them to to make any sacrifices that he wasn't willing to make himself. It was customary in those days for governors to live well off of the work of his subjects, but but not Nehemiah. He he ate the same bread that they ate. He, He worked right alongside them until the dream was realized. He was a man of conscience and compassion and character. And the people responded to him. And the walls were rebuilt. The city was reestablished. The dream was realized. It became real. And you may be thinking to yourself, that's a great story. That's an inspiring story, but what does it have to do with me? Well, folks, if I may be so bold as to step into his sandals for a moment, I would like to be your Nehemiah today. You see, I have a dream for our church. When Nehemiah heard the report from Hanani concerning the plight of his people in Jerusalem, it caused him to want to do something about it. Now, there was nothing new about what Hanani said to him. The conditions in Jerusalem had been like this for decades. At this point, almost 70 years, as a matter of fact. So what was it that prompted this reaction from Nehemiah that day? I think it was the sudden realization that the future of his people was in jeopardy. They were vulnerable. The walls were down. They were unprotected from their enemies from the outside who could and did plunder at will. The people were in a perpetual state of poverty. They had to sell themselves or their children into slavery just so they could eat. Their future looked bleak. And Nehemiah knew that if someone didn't do something about this, they were doomed. Now, there's something to be said for vulnerability. Because Jesus indicated that the vulnerable are those who are most dependent upon God. And that's a good thing. But there's also something to be said for security. Nehemiah recognized this, and so he reached out to the people. 
He solicited contributions. He enlisted workers. He worked side by side with them. And he rebuilt the wall of security that surrounded Jerusalem. And it became the foundation on which the entire city was rebuilt. But there are many types of insecurities, aren't there? There are physical insecurities. When you're in a vulnerable place in danger of attack. There are emotional insecurities. When, when you're subject to abuse from an emotional bully or an, uh, an abusive spouse. And there are economic insecurities. On a personal level, when you've lost your job and you don't know what, how your future is going to fare. And, and on a corporate level, when as an organization you add up your potential income and your expenses and you take a look at what you have in the bank and you realize that the trend is going in the wrong direction. What will become of us? And you're still wondering, what does this have to do with me? Here it is. For way too many years, that has been the case for Community Baptist Church. We have been on the edge of financial insecurity for our entire existence, almost 25 years now. And folks, many of our largest contributors over the years, they've died. And the nature of church these days is that those people are hard to replace. People just don't go to church the way they used to. And I feel that a part of my responsibility as your pastor is is to look not just at this week or next week or six months down the road, but but at what our situation will be like in five years or ten years or more. And as I have done that and as others have done that, we have determined that Community Baptist Church is a lot like Jeremiah's wall or Jeremiah or Nehemiah, wrong prophet, I'm sorry, Nehemiah's Jerusalem. We're vulnerable. I don't think we're vulnerable from attack from without, but, but we are financially vulnerable. Folks, it was not that long ago when when I suddenly looked up and realized that we only had about one week's reserve in our checking account. Just one large bill or heaven forbid one uh, an emergency came up, then we were in trouble. Now, don't panic. <laughs> I'm glad to say that we're in better shape today than we were then, but hear me when I say we are still vulnerable. The wall of security is down and we are vulnerable. And a huge part of that vulnerability lies in our debt. In fact, I would say that the bulk of our vulnerability lies in our debt. Now, I talked about this last week a little bit. And as I mentioned last week, we've been engaged in this three-year effort to pay down our loan, the loan on our building. Those three years end this coming Thursday. And I want to thank you profusely for your generosity and your commitment to your God and to the church that you love over these three years. Like the people did for Nehemiah, you have responded mightily. And I am tremendously grateful for everything that you've done. And I want to report to you that because of your efforts over the past three years, we are overall in much better condition than we were when we began this, this, uh, this uh, campaign. But folks, the wall is not quite finished. There are still breaches in our wall that pose the possibility of financial vulnerability in our future. And that will continue to be the case until we get this building paid for. And that's why I'm standing here as as Nehemiah today and challenging you, challenging me to finish this wall. We have made huge, 
huge, huge strides over these past three years. And we have accomplished so very much. Much more than, than, than most of us ever thought we could do. And so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But we are only, folks, we are only about two years away from paying off our debt completely if we stay at our task. And I think it would be a crying shame for us to get this far and not continue our effort until it's done. For the sake of our future. I heard somebody speak on Thursday and he was referencing the early days of our nation and the challenges that they faced. And, and he, he posited the, the question, what if Benjamin Franklin, what if George Washington, what if John Adams and others looked at the dream of an independent nation and said, it's too hard, it's too much, we can't do it. What would our nation look like now? I shudder to think. Will it be hard to finish the task of building our wall month to month, of removing the links one by one from the chain which holds us captive? Will it be hard for us to stick it out for another two years or so until there are no more links to be cut? And you know what I'm talking about, most of you. It might be. It may require some sacrifice on our part, but my friends, with God's grace and our good work, in the end, it will ensure our security as a church. And in my mind, that makes it all worthwhile. I hope it does with you too. Let's finish building our wall. Let's continue our gifts to the Unleashed Debt Reduction Campaign. Let's change it into the Debt Obliteration Campaign. <laughs> let's, con- let's, let's consider increasing our gifts to the Debt Obliteration Campaign. Let's get this building paid for. Let us dare to be like Nehemiah. Let us catch the dream that we can be debt free and let us work hard to make that happen. Nehemiah said, Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. And I told them that the hand of my God has been gracious upon me. And then they said, let us start building. And so they committed themselves to the common good. May we do likewise. Amen. You ready to have some fun? <laughs> Let's have some fun. I need some volunteers up here. Come on. <laughs> Come on, need some volunteers. We got the long one here. We got We need more than that. <laughs> you know what we're doing here. Most of you know what we're doing. Some of you may not know what we're doing. All right, stretch the long one out there. Put put the short one out. For, there we go. Good. All right. In, in case in, in case you don't know what we're doing, and and I know that that Thursday marks the three years of our debt reduction campaign. But what we're doing here today does not reflect our three-year progress. Uh, That's going to have to wait until March because we don't get those figures until the end of the month. Uh, But this this marks our balance as of the end of January. Okay, so we're a a month behind here. And uh, as most of you know, the long chain that stretches all the way across here, this represents the total debt that we incurred on this building when we built this building, and each link in this chain represents $10,000, and so there are 120 links in the long chain representing $1.2 million. That's how much debt we took on when we built this building. 
The smaller chain, which you may notice is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, this represents our current debt on our building. It also, each link represents $10,000. And so each time we break through another $10,000 mark, we cut a link from that chain and it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And I'm glad to see that I can hold this chain up like this now. And when we began our Unleashed Debt Reduction Campaign, our balance stood at $600,000. And there's a mark somewhere in the long one. There, over here. That tab right there marks where we were when we started three years ago at $600,000. And I'm proud to say that at the end of January, our balance was $265,489. That means we can remove another link from our chain. Who, uh, who has number 27 there? Or 20? You have number 27. You're the lucky one. All right. This represents another $10,000 off of our debt. And this means that in 35 months, we have reduced the debt on our building by $335,000. I can't tell you how proud I am of you and your efforts to ensure the long-term security of our church. So let's keep it up until we're finished. Let's get this thing done. And we've done this because you are a group of people who are committed to follow Christ wherever He leads. So let's celebrate by singing, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. Individual inadequacies. God has called us together to be Christ's body, and each one of us is indispensable. 
God remembers us, giving us distinct gifts, equipping each of us to provide guidance and accountability for one another, that we may all become more faithful followers. We are all greater as one body than, in, than any single one of us could be on our own. So let us continue to work together to fulfill God's dream for our lives and for our church. Let us be strong and persistent in following the path that God has given us. Amen.